This is the Northwestern Medicine Podcast on COVID-19, dated March 24th, 2020. Welcome. This is Better Edge, a Northwestern Medicine Podcast for physicians. I'm Melanie Cole, and joining me today is Dr. Igor Koralnik. He's the Chief of Neuroinfectious Diseases and Global Neurology and a Professor of Neurology at Northwestern Medicine. Today we're talking about COVID-19, the risks for those with neurological diseases, and how Northwestern medicine is evolving to treat patients during this pandemic. Dr. Koralnik, thank you so much for joining us. What are the risks for those with neuroinfectious diseases or neurological conditions? We know COVID-19 is not a CNS pathogen, but it's focused on the respiratory tract. So can we assume that patients with ALS, MS, or perhaps Parkinson's are at greater risk because these neurologic diseases essentially reduce the capacity of the lung? Uh, First, let me emphasize that COVID-19 is a various concern for everyone, whether or not you have a neurological condition. So what we know about the novel coronavirus is that it's very infectious, can be transmitted by people who are still asymptomatic or have minor symptoms. It targets a receptor called angiotensin-converting enzyme 2, or ACE2, which is present on alveolar lung cell, but many other cells in the body. So the body reacts with an immune response that aims to contain the infection, but it seems to be dysregulated in people who have severe disease, where you can see an increase in cells called neutrophils, but a decrease in lymphocytes, especially CD4, positive T lymphocytes, which are the cell that orchestrates this immune response. That means that you have people who remain asymptomatic or have minor symptoms, especially children, and are likely the one whose immune system is able to contain the virus. And on the other hand, you have people whose immune system fails to contain the virus and have severe lung infection and inflammation and need to be admitted to the ICU. So any patient with pre-existing condition affecting their ability to breathe, like patient with ALS, certain patient with myasthenia, but also patient with a variety of spinal cord disease may be at higher risk of complication with the COVID-19 disease, especially if they are older and they have other cardiac or, or pulmonary comorbidities, for example. Now, there's some emerging data uh, regarding how the coronavirus may affect the nervous system some publication coming out of China, which are in the process of being published, suggest that up to one-third of patients may develop some altered mental status, headache, nausea, vomiting, even cerebrovascular events, and muscle problems. From what we know uh, from the previous coronavirus epidemic with the SARS in 2003, uh, this virus was found in the brain in some patients and in experimental animals that were inoculated with the virus in the nasopharynx, the virus could be also found in the brain, including the brainstem. So there may be a potential infection in the brainstem that may affect respiratory centers that are there uh, in some patient. We don't know if it's going to be the case for a neurological patient today, but this is something we need to be aware of. Wow, that's a very comprehensive answer. Thank you so much, Dr. Koralnik. These are unprecedented times for medical care across the board. But for patients who can't necessarily postpone care, this can be an especially difficult time to navigate. Can you tell us how you and your team are are adjusting to the circumstances evolving and continue to deliver quality care to these patients? 
this is an excellent question. And at Northwestern, like in most places in the US, we have switched to televisits on the phone or on the web for certain patients. And uh, those patients we connect with on the phone or uh, through webcam and we conduct neurological uh, consultation this way. I think patients really appreciate that because first they don't have to come to the hospital and put themselves at risk and we can still deliver uh, quality care for those patients, especially the patients that we know already that have come for an initial visit prior to the epidemic in the hospital and, and we know what the issues are. Of course, there are some new patients that uh, would still need to be seen in the hospital if they present with acute uh, symptom of strokes or altered mental status, for example. But uh, the family uh, of those patients and those patients should uh, first talk with their primary care physician to determine what is the best course of action, whether they need to go straight to the emergency room, for example, or if we need to arrange an outpatient a televisit or a real visit with a neurologist. So Dr. Karolnik, when people with neurological conditions are showing symptoms or are diagnosed, when are you recommending admission to the hospital? And when you answer this, you're probably fielding a lot of questions from patients as well. And so what are some of those common questions that you're being asked and what advice are you giving? So obviously this is an excellent question. Everybody's concerned about this and the guidelines are evolving daily. Uh, so it obviously depends on the baseline condition of the patient, whether they are symptomatic or not, their situation at home, can they be taken care of home and follow the guideline of the Center for Disease Control uh, that are obviously always uh, evolving. The question that we feel from the patient is that obviously everyone is concerned. Uh, we have to remind them about the importance of social distancing, washing hands, staying at home, sheltering in place, depending where they live. But what is also very important is that they keep taking their uh, medications. Well, that is so important. You're an internationally recognized expert, Dr. Karolnik, in the management of neurological complications of HIV. This is so interesting. What lessons from the AIDS global epidemic can be applied during this pandemic from your perspective? It brings me back to the mid-80s when I was a medical student uh, in uh, Geneva, Switzerland, and we were seeing the first patient with uh, AIDS coming to the hospital. Th these were really uncertain times, especially at the beginning, since uh, we didn't know what was causing AIDS, and people were extremely concerned about the risk of infection. Uh, soon after the HIV virus was uh, identified, it was understood that certain ways of uh, communication of the virus via intravenous route or sexual contact were the ways people were getting infection. So the general population was not at risk of uh, getting the virus. For coronavirus, it's different since everybody potentially is at risk, although we know that some people will have no symptoms and or a benign uh, disease and some other people will be severely affected. As chief of the Division of Global Neurology at Northwestern Medicine, your mission is to bring clinical expertise to underserved populations around the world. How do you think a lack of clinical experts in certain countries may have contributed to the spread of COVID-19? Or how will underserved populations deal with this spread? 
So I'm very concerned for countries that are in a resource-limited setting. For example, uh, some countries in sub-Saharan Africa, where it's more difficult to diagnose a patient with the coronavirus, to track them, to isolate people, and especially to treat them. Since those uh, areas seem to have been less affected by the initial wave of uh, COVID-19, I hope that the local governments there are taking appropriate measures uh, to be ready when this happens, because unfortunately, I think this is going to happen even in remote uh, settings, and uh, nobody will be immune to that. Do you think the United States will effectively be able to flatten the curve, doctor? We are doing everything we can at this point um, to diagnose people. The tests are becoming more widely available. Uh, That causes an uptick in the number of cases uh, in the U.S., obviously, which is always concerning. But now we know more who they are. Those people uh, should be properly isolated or quarantined or treated. And everybody in the U.S. population is aware about the the risk. And uh, I think that by following the guidelines from local governments, the Center for Disease Control, staying at home, uh, social distancing, we hope that this measure will be efficient in allowing us to flatten the curve. As we wrap up, and this is such great quality information, Dr. Koralnik, as we wrap up, put this into perspective for us and let neurologists and other providers know what you'd like them to know about COVID-19 and neurologic diseases, social distancing, self-quarantine. Help them to calm the nerves of their patients that are worried at this time. So I think it's very important for every physician and neurologist to be there for your patients on the phone, on the web, sometime in person. There is high anxiety in everyone, and this anxiety may worsen symptoms that people may have with their baseline disease. You have to remind your patient that they need to keep taking the medications and obviously follow the uh, recommended social distancing, sheltering in place, listen to the evolving recommendation of the CDC. But I think what's more important to realize is that we are all in it together and somehow the distance that the virus has put between us is bringing us closer because we are really uh, uh, in the same boat at this point. And the most important is that we will get through this together. So important. Dr. Koralnik, thank you for coming on and sharing your incredible expertise with us today. And that concludes this episode of Better Edge, a Northwestern medicine podcast for physicians. To refer your patient or for more information on COVID-19, please visit our website at nm.org to get connected with one of our providers. I'm Melanie Cole.